Today, it's a Christmas golazzo. And who could we discuss but Toto di Natale? Yep, totally Toto today. Plus, boiling panettone and Champions League draws in this golazzo. Hi, listener, and may I say, happy Tony Christmas, everybody. Gabriele Marcotti's here. Great to be here. Happy holidays to you as well. Absolutely. And auguri di Buon Natale uh, to you, James Horncastle. Merry Christmas, James. Excellent. What a great time of year. And what a great time to be celebrating one of, I think, everybody's favourite players. A man who seemed to embody all the, all the good stuff. The most rated, underrated player uh, of all time, I would say. Really? You know? <laughs> Him and Paul Scholes. Mm. You know, the ones who said, oh, he's underrated. And everybody kept saying it for so long that, you know, eventually, <laughs> like, hey, he's actually pretty good. Mm. But can we yeah. can we re- reveal the, 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 the secret to those who, who don't speak Italian about why you were calling him Tony Christmas? So, Natale means Christmas wow. yes. in Italian. Now, that said... There is some debate about, people have actually looked at this, about what his last name actually means. Oh. So the D means of, yes. right? So mm-hmm. technically you'd say it would be Tony, Tony of, of Christmas, Christmas right? Mm-hmm. But Natale also happens to be an Italian first name, which may or may not have to do with Christmas. So it could be that one of his ancestors was either the offspring of some bloke named Natale, or perhaps a servant or property. Wow, way to ruin it, Gab. I, I don't. I don't want to. Wow! What a buzzkill! <laughs> no, he's definitely Scrooge. Tony. Tony Christmas. <laughs> Everyone loves Antonio Di Natale. Uh, he scored goals against Chievo. That's a good thing. <laughs> he scored lots of goals against everybody. He got uh, Juan de Ramos sacked at Spurs. Damn! Did he? Yeah, he did. And brought in Harry Redknapp. Wow. Okay. And here's another thing. He turned down Juventus. Yes, yeah. the old lady. One of the few people to be able to refuse the temptation. See, I, I think, it, I know we like to play music on this. I, I think sort of like that public enemy song about fighting the power. Oh, yeah. You know, would have made more sense here. Yeah, this is the thing. Sixth all-time top scorer in the history of Serie A, and he did it playing for Empoli and Udinese. Mm. And he did it as well. I mean, the, the, the best years, well after the age of 30, after he got moved at the age of 32 into the kind of the, the striker role, Udinese responds with... 29 goals. He had this extraordinary two-year, well, four years, in fact, where he was over 20 goals every season. Mm-hmm. But two of those years, the only two players to outscore him in Europe were Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah. I think it's uh, extraordinary when you look at his um, career Udinese, because he was there since 2004, um, how often he kind of played second fiddle or as a support striker for, in the first year, David Di Michele, mm. King David, to bring Future up some West kind of Christmas. Star. Exactly. Mm. Then Vincenzo Iacquinta. Mm. Uh, World Cup winner, exactly, and uh, and then the Sorry, and gun-toting maniac, <laughs> and then well. all-star Neapolitan strike partnership with uh, Fabio Quagliarella. And as Di Natale himself said, uh. all of my strike partners kind of went on to play for big clubs. So you think Sanchez, Barca, uh, Iaquinta, Juventus, Di Michele, West Ham, um, World Cup winner, and Quagliarella, Napoli, Juventus. You know, to name but a few. Mm. Why do you love Di Natale, Gab? I love the idea of the guy who, first and foremost, Udinese are owned by the by the Bozzo family, who provide some cultural context. They're from the northeast. They're from the dark northeast of Italy, where it's kind of like foggy and cold 
very sort of Slavic y, you know. So, okay, um, Udine is, is literally what, about 30 kilometers from the Slovenian border? Yeah, uh-huh. it's like 80,000 people, right? And so they built this whole team. And, and obviously, I think people, especially if they listen to us, are familiar with their model, right? They spend a vast amount of money on scouting networks. So they bring people in who bigger clubs either miss out on or don't notice, and then they develop them, and then they sell them on as a profit. And that's, that's how they manage to keep this tiny club. Um, God, they get it to punch way above their weight, you know, mm. reaching the Champions League and whatever else. But one of the, th- the reasons it works is that they don't pay much money. They pay very little money. So you have a guy named Totò Di Natale who, first he's at Empoli, which is another teeny tiny club that punches way above its weight, except they do it mostly through their through the youth academy. They have a whole tradition of of getting young players, mostly, or, or many of them actually, from around the, the, the Napoli area, Avellino, whatever. So Vincenzo Montella famously is... is well. He's a great example of it. Di Natale too. Quagliarella him, himself, obviously from Naples too. But you could ask a whole question about why Naples don't actually scout on their doorstep, and that's a long <laughs> and complicated and unpleasant answer, so we won't go there. But he didn't make much money at Empoli. He didn't make much money... Eludinese. With a name like Christmas, it's Christmas it, every day, isn't it? So, <laughs> so given how old he was when, when, when he moved to Udinese too, like you, you kind of think, all right, the Juventus deal, you got to go to Juve, fine, right? And you might not work out for you, whatever, but you'll sign a fat three or four year contract and hey, if it doesn't work, they'll just loan you out somewhere or sell you back and, and whatever. You could go and settle yourself forever. And he said, no, he said, no to Juve and to setting himself up for life. He says that he also had uh, an offer from Liverpool, which I, I must admit I, I wasn't aware of at the time. Uh, there was certainly a move from Marcelo Lippi's, uh, is it Guangzhou? Guangzhou. Guangzhou. Well, it's not the only time he did it. Guangzhou, <laughs> yeah. Evercrand. Okay. Uh, also, uh, New York Red Bulls, I believe, when they were setting themselves up, uh, were in for him. But and yeah. And Napoli he just, repeatedly wanted him to come as well. To come, come home. home. To Naples, yeah. So... But it was all about keeping his home in Udine, where his uh, wife and kids were settled. Yeah, and I think he also, it is weird because he also developed, I think he genuinely had a bond with the club mm. and the, the, the boy. I know it sounds incredibly corny, and it's also weird because you figure, when we think of people who, players who develop bonds with clubs and fan bases, you know, we think of... Totti, of Maldini. Matt Letizier, okay, yeah. you know, whatever... Clubs that are either biggish clubs or have a certain particular historical importance to them or have got a passionate fan base or they have ties to the area. I mean, other than his wife, there's nothing to it. I mean, with all due respect to Udinese and what they've done is incredible. It's not exactly, you know, the kind of warm, passionate fan base where you're where you're a hero. You know, it's, it's a bunch of people who... Also, the town, it's kind of... I mean, it's a weird place for him to be charmed by in a way. Well, I mean, I, I like Udine, but it's basically a barracks town. And this is one of the reasons why I think they believe that model is so successful, is that there are so little distractions for the players that they bring in from all over the world, that they right. can just focus on their football, develop, and then they can sell them on. Mm. Because you can't go clubbing, really, in Udine. But I think to go back to... It was more fun the one year that Gaddafi was there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another thing about Di Natale, I think he's, he's a very kind of reserved private individual who does not like the limelight he's spoken about this he, he doesn't he never really wanted to go anywhere where you know that he would be in the headlines morning noon and night um and playing Empoli playing at Udinese could allow him to do that and to some extent I respect the loyalty but I also respect the kind of knowing what's good for you in terms of the environment um the culture the kind of 
knowing there's a fan base and an owner who, who basically love you and acknowledge your importance. And I think he really... He reveled in that. I think one of the fascinating things about him is, is the fact that he was or is so down to earth and so schietto, if you like. Creatively on the field, he was just an explosion of inventiveness. Just looking back through uh, some of his goals, uh, I mean, there's like 209 of them, 311 in all competitions. Do you have any favourites in particular? I mean, this was a joy. Last night, I, I was up until like two or three o'clock in the morning watching some of these because He's high up in the all-time top scorer charts. We mentioned he's six, but yeah. he, along with Totti and Del Piero, must have the highest kind of instance of spectacular goals. And there's one in particular against Regina yeah. um, in 2007 where the ball comes over the top and he catches it mid-air, keeps it in the air and volleys it in a flash across goal. Grande controllo, splendido goal! Magnifico di Di Natale! Magnifico, ha fatto una cosa spettacolare di Natale, doppietta per lui e lui da solo che sta vincendo la sfida. I think this is a kind of trademark of Di Natale. Yeah. Would you know he did the exact same goal against Palermo? Uh, would have been what a, a year later. Well, the number of Bergkamp-esque goals. I mean, Bergkamp did that one in '98 against Argentina at the World Cup, but Di Natale seems to do this all of the time to the point where it is it's it's clearly something that they play to on the Guidolin under Pasquale Marino, where for a little guy, he had a lot of pace. He could get separation, get in behind if they just lobbed the ball over the top. And he had the skill and technique in a tight space under a lot of pressure to just execute. It's the, the, the speed of execution that that gets you because what, what James was describing, and he has scored a lot of goals like that. I think the one against Regina was probably the best one. But just technically, that first touch of control, you figure most professionals ball over the top. They can get one touch, they get on the air, they set themselves to shoot. But what's really difficult to do technically is to control it with a touch and then get your shot off quick enough before the defender can react. And that's something he did better than most. And what you were saying before about him being, usually it's Italian word, sort of schietto and down to earth, he'd probably describe himself as being a little introverted as well. Mm -hmm. I love this. I love the fact on the show we can totally explode regional stereotypes. The dude is from Naples, yeah. right? These are supposed to be, you know, you live by stereotypes. You're supposed to be the most extroverted, so noisy bad, people yeah. in the world. Everything about him flies into the face of that outwardly warm, noisy, extroverted Neapolitan. Now, he was a warm and caring person. We'll get to the whole business with Morosini, mm. which is, which I think is is, is pretty remarkable and, and speaks volumes about him. We'll get onto that shortly. Just. Let's talk about some more goals first. There was another great goal that same season against Regina where basically from the touchline, just on the edge of the penalty box, he, he lobs the keeper. I mean, his, so many of his goals were almost like free kicks because he'd, he'd stop just outside the area and then curl one in. Mm. Often they'd be glorious kind of parabolas, uh, lobs, that kind of thing. There's one in particular that I thought was amazing uh, against Roma in 2012 and basically, he, he's bombed in. There's a chance it doesn't work out, but he's still there in the area. And somebody just pings this ball in. And he's essentially unmarked. He could just touch it in. But he spins 360. And as he spins, he does a back heel. Allarga tutto. Attenzione. Armero calcia male. Di Natale. E alla fine arriva il gol dell'Udinese. 2-2. Di Natale colpisce ancora. There's no reason for him to do it at all. And you think that this guy, who's kind of the most introverse if you like as a person he basically decides instead of just kicking the ball in he'll spin and reverse it in it's an amazing well, also, goal there's, there's a goal like that in 2007 against Milan where 
he gets the ball and he controls it with his left and then he does this spin so he can hit it on his right and the first control gets the ball to bobble so he can then get lift on it. Dida has absolutely no time to react whatsoever. By the way, who's defending him? Who's the, okay, so you've got... A- Ka- Alessandro Nesta is the guy he beats. Yeah, Nesta, Stam, Maldini and Cafu was the mm. back line that day. And it's exactly like Gab says. He's got the speed of kind of thought to process what he's about to do, which just wouldn't come into a lot of people's heads in the first place. And then that speed of execution, so you've got no time to react whatsoever. Um, and... One of the biggest compliments he received was from Roberto Baggio, who said, you're like me. You're exactly like me. And in terms of the number of goals, the guy he actually overtook to be sixth in the top scorer chance was Baggio. Mm. But that ability to score just otherworldly stuff is remarkable now. There's a great volley against Kiro, which I know will be one of your favourites, Gab. And also, here's one that he scored against Catania in the 11-12 season, where basically... He's running onto a through ball and it looks like he's run out of time and space. There's a defender on him. The the keeper's coming out. So he basically taps it forward to get it past the keeper. The keeper goes down, but you think, you overdid it because by now we're at the touchline. And he, with the side of his foot, he puts this incredible spin on it so the ball curls back out and then in again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one you mean. That is outrageous because not only does he go past the keeper and the angle's really acute, but there is a defender who dives in and slides past the near post so it looks like the near post is blocked off and as you say he the touch there is this fade on it where it's so delicate it goes minimally over the defender and really slow and then spins in it's just ridiculous technique Domizzi trova Di Natale lo scatto di Di Natale che stavolta salta Carrizzo Totò Di Natale tocco sotto un gol straordinario di uno straordinario giocatore Totò Di Natale l'Udinese in vantaggio you mentioned uh, Pier Mario Morosini, who the Udinese player, teammate of uh, Di Natale, who died while on loan at Livorno. And the story of what basically Di Natale did for Morosini's sister. Yeah, so Morosini, I think he was in his mid-20s at the time, and his parents had, had, had passed. He had, no, he had no relatives other than, than the sister who, who was uh, disabled. And... One of the issues is, you know, she he he was extremely devoted to his sister, and he he basically took care of her, you know, financially, made sure she had assistance and and whatever. And you know, I thought I knew about this, and and after his passing, but albeit very quietly at first, until other people said like, "Hey, what a great story this is," you know, he he reached out and he said, "I'm taking care of all the bills from from now on." And he didn't just do that; he also spent time visiting her and, and, and built up a whole relationship with her. Remarkable guy. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Coffee. Total cafe. Yeah, he's had uh, grounds named after him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a friend uh, from Sorrento mentioned, yeah, you like coffee because he has like 10 a day now. And we should get into business on this. So, yeah, that's what he's doing. He has you 10 could, coffees a day. Yeah, well, he used to. Yeah, always, always ristretto. Um, right. So, yeah, that was his thing. You'd think they'd be worried about him getting quite dehydrated, but clearly just it worked for him, so why not? Well, absolutely. He also yep. endorsed a Guinness World Record attempt to make the biggest ever tiramisu. I'd forgotten that, but you're right. It is the longest tiramisu in the world. I'm not sure if Guinness actually ratified this. Oh, yeah, it's been officially entered. 
It's、uh, 260 meters long. 260 meters of tiramisu. I back myself to work through that. Damn. I'm just watching a video of it now.、Really、I, I, you guys talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Is it really thin? Now, have a look. There you go. It's about the width of a, of a kind of a lasagna, but it just goes on and on for 260 meters. But it's curved. It's、That's... not one long strip of tiramisu. It kind of goes down and then comes back. Well, I, I guess they didn't have、it's、a building、circular. 260 meters long, so they've. they've, they've I'm not sure they're indoors. If, if they could have done it like around the Stadio Friuli or the Dacia、wow. Arena or whatever it's called now,、That's、that would have been great. Just to be clear on、yeah. this, remember you were saying about how in Udine and、mm-hmm. stuff, probably they do well, there's no distractions, there's、yeah. nothing to do. Yeah. People there, like these are big events, they have to come up with, with things like this to go and amuse themselves. Right. Oh, let's make a really big tiramisu <laughs>、yeah. because, you know, otherwise, what are we going to do like after sunset? You know? Exactly. <laughs> But by the way,、um, Udinese, you, you mentioned their incredible scouting network, but the players that came through that club in the Pozzo era, kind of before they discovered the Premier League and started spending all their money at Watford instead, which I think is the popular take on, on what's happened to Udinese of late because this is a club that, when they had the likes of Di Natale there, were challenging, were qualifying, were, were in qualifying matches for the Champions League, were finishing third, fourth in, in City A. I mean, they were really unlucky. When they finished third, they had to go through the playoff. That's quite famous because Michael Swell hits the、uh, Penenka straight into the Braga goalkeeper's arms, which I don't think Francesco Guidolin's ever got over.、Mm. They also had a preliminary with Arsenal. Yeah, and Di Natale missed a penalty、mm. in that one.、Um, missed penalties, I wouldn't say a regular feature of his career, but regular feature of his disappointments because he missed one in, in Euro 2008 against Spain when they went out. And yeah, that allowed Spain essentially to dominate the world for their. For the next four years or so. Yeah. In 2012,、um, curiously, he was the only player to score against Spain in the、yeah. European Championships. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful goal. That was a.、Uh, 1-1 draw、yeah. in, the, in the group stage.、Mm. Mm. Di Natale, who finally hung up his boots not that long ago, it was what, 2016. He was 39. It was incredible. Every year he'd still be there banging goals in. And he'd announce his retirement and then change his mind. Yeah. So he did that at least twice. He would, he would come home and say, I'm quitting, and his son Filippo would just laugh at him and <laughs> just say, No, you're not. Right. His son was like、him. 20 at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> no, his son, well,、uh, Filippo is, is 16 now and he's playing at Empoli because Di Natale's basically now moved there. Having his never... wife is, is, is from Empoli. But, they, but、yeah. there you go. That makes sense. He also joined Pasquale Marino at、uh, La Spezia in Serie、mm-hmm. B at the start of this season. I've no idea. Is he still. Yeah, he's still there.、Okay. there he's a strikers coach there. Okay. Um, and they're what, ninth, ninth in the second division.、And、the guy he was at Empoli was Silvio Baldini, who,、mm. who's、uh, famous for、um, kicking Mimo Di Carlo in the backside during a game when he was what, in charge of Catania. And、uh, Mimo was, was there coaching Parma, one of the great moments. Che brutto! A fabulous. What's he doing now, Baldini? He is at、um, Buffon's, the, the club that Buffon used to own, Cadarese,、um, and he is coaching for free. Oh.、Um, and I'm pretty sure he's got Maccherone and Tavano up front for him. Former Empoli. Yes,、yeah, like、both of them. Top scorer as well. Tavano, who. 
if you remember from that team, people thought Tavano was going to be really, really good yeah, to yeah. the point that he I went, went to Valencia. And, I, I was in yeah, Rome I went and interviewed him there. At, at, actually, it was at Covacciano. He had, he had a call-up for... Uh, either he had a call-up or... He did. He did. Well, that, so then we went to speak to him at yeah. Covacciano because he was another of these kind of uh, bomber di provincia. Yeah, I mean, he got two big moves. He went to Valencia and he went to... He was in Rome whilst I was there with uh, Christian Wilhelmsen as well. <laughs> Just some of the randoms. Ludovic Giuli, uh, right. who was part oh, of that yeah. Spalletti team. But Baldini is quite interesting because I think he felt he never recovered from basically kicking Mimo Di Carlo in the arse. Um, so he's just been sent off or he's, he's being sent off and Di Carlo comes over and says something and he, he just runs up and kicks him in the backside. But um, Gabby, you were saying he's one of your cult heroes. He is. He's probably number two on my list of cult Italian provincial managers who, who never played professionally. Why? Simply because there's a whole subgenre. I mean, they exist in England, they exist in other countries too, right? Of these people who are just, they're just in love with football and they're a yeah. little nerdy and they can't play it, right? I mean, Baldini's also the size of the house, which probably didn't help them either. And so they start at the very lowest level and they swat up and they take all these courses and physical courses and stuff and they make all these sacrifices to be given a chance. Obviously, I mean, well, we have an example right here, Maurizio Sarri, yeah. right? And it seems to me that only in Germany recently have they decided, hey, you know what? You know, that guy that's like, you know, living out of a cardboard box under a bridge, watching Y Scout 18 hours a day and spending the other six hours a day at the the training ground, he's actually intelligent and he has an attention for detail. Maybe we should give the job to him. The reason he works for free at Cadarese is because he doesn't want to answer to the man. He wants complete freedom. Um, And Lele Adani, who's now the probably the most high profile pundit on Sky Another Italia famous for the Garacharua at the end of the uh, Spurs game when uh, Vecino scored he's like um, a super tactics nerd right and he thinks Baldini is like the Italian Bielsa so yeah so he finally hung up his boots in 2016 which is just extraordinary and yeah anything else you want to say about the best uh, as a player of all time better even than Zico, Zico. really yeah, absolutely well Zico only had two years but well, yeah. yeah but come on in absolute terms but all right i like that brilliant all right well um go back and have a look at some of those goals after this we're going to be talking about those boiling panettone <laughs> boiling panettone do you know i'm trying to make panettone at the moment gabriele and it's harder than you'd think you should make pandoro there's <laughs> <laughs> things that you shouldn't be making at home. You should right. leave to the professionals. Yeah. Um, I think most bread products. Yes. My mother-in-law a few what? years ago she got into this You've thing had about some controversial opinions. Are you now going to come out against home baking? Well, you can bake cakes and stuff. Uh huh. Bread, no. Pizza. What about pizza? Can you make pizza at home? If you have a serious pizza oven, <laughs> yes, you can. You can go ahead and do that. And you mess around with the mother and whatever, and and then the the yeast and sure. I now want to but, see Gab as one of the experts well, on right. the it Great also British Bake Off. No, it also depends where you live. <laughs> right. Okay? Let's, okay. let's be very clear on this. I mean, there is a difference between Roman pizza and Neapolitan pizza. Is there a pizza that you can eat in London? Where where does it come from? I think there's a number of places we can get good yeah. pizza. My, one of my favorites uh-huh. is a place called Maurizio Barca. Where's that? It's in Fulham. It's on okay. North End Road. It happens to be near where I live. Where's your favorite pizzeria, James? Uh, in London, yeah, well, there's one uh, one quite close by me, Sacrequore, which is, is big, Neapolitan. messy, sloppy Neapolitan but, pizza. Yeah, I'm going to and from Mrs. H, who's in Rome at the moment, uh-huh. it is again having pizza back here after going to La Fraschetta oh, or yeah. 
ai marmi is quite difficult because it is un'altra cosa. We should also point out on the pizza front yes. that this is a very sensitive subject back in Italy, right? Because right. pizza obviously was apparently invented in Naples and they have a certain, it's called the DOP, right? Yeah. A certain acronym and it has to be made a certain characteristics. People in other parts of Italy actually develop their own pizza. They don't necessarily follow that. There are these sort of sniffy Neapolitan uh, people who say, you can call yourself pizza? No. Like, yeah, pizza snobs. What are they like, Gab? No, but there's a, there, there's levels of pizza snobbery, oh, right? Okay. There are still some canons that you can follow. And right. I like the super authentic Neapolitan pizza, but I can also like the version that they do in Rome. Not my favorite, but it's not bad. We're, we're definitely going to come back to the whole subject of pizza because there's a ways to go. Yeah, also on this Carlo, one, But right now... Carlo Ancelotti said <clears throat> he's in for the long term at Napoli because he wants to go to every pizzeria in Naples. It's Damn. that good. Wow. You know? All right. Okay. Well, he might have the chance. There are other managers who may not be so long for their clubs. Uh, the, the Panatoni reference was... I mean, Panatoni's become a symbol of uh, managerial change. Will we they get, get to, to eat, eat their it. Panatoni? And uh, this weekend, it was a Panatoni Bolente was the, the big headline on, on uh, one of the Italian sports papers. Uh, after a European week that left all sorts of tensions, five defeats and a draw last week in, in uh, Europe, but the draw Inter, which was kind of a defeat because it meant they crashed out <laughs> of the the Champions League, and then you had basically fallout all over the place. Crosses planted on the training ground at Bologna. With the um, names of uh, Finucci, the chief exec, Bigon, the sporting director, and Marco Di Vaio. How, how can anyone not like Marco Di Vaio? No? Well, uh, I like Marco Di Vaio. He was very pleasant, but there's one or two kind of political uh, affiliations. Well, yeah, that like were... Sergio Pellissier. Mm. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, even more scary. Well, we saw he came out thinking yeah. Mussolini did good things. Uh, on the radio just a few days after we basically said he's one of the good guys we yeah. love him and he was on was no it was like a peter shilton moment yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um Anyway, so cross it even more scarily, the looming shadow of Antonio Conte, and now what, potentially, <laughs> well, all over the place can at Roma, also, at Milan, and now potentially Jose Mourinho. James, can we also yeah. mention another thing? You said there were crosses planted outside of Bologna. There was a pig's head sent to um, Pietro Lomonaco at Catania. Was there? Yeah. Damn. They had a pig's head at, at Bologna once. They left a coffin and a pig's head at the uh, at the gates of Castel Deboli. Wow. Anyway, so there we are with these uh, boiling panettones because there's danger for all well, sorts Marino of... Well, Longo has not got to eat the panettone because he's been sacked by uh, Frosinone. Damn. That is harsh, isn't it? That I is think harsh. so, yeah. yeah. And sorry, about keeping the panettone theme yeah. going because it's the headline in, uh, in Gazzetta dello Sport today. The other big Italian tradition uh, every Christmas is the Cine Panettone, yeah. which is they make sort of... Christmas films, that sort of trashy. carry on style, trashy, funny Christmas comedies. There's sort of one every year, sometimes more than one. And yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not. Aurelio De Laurentiis just makes them. Yeah. That's mm. his thing. I don't enjoy carry on films, and I haven't seen all of them, unlike you, who, of course, <laughs> you're, you're a film reviewer. And I've seen all of De Sica's films too. Right. Okay. So is that a fair quite, characterization quite of the these types of movies? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay. So there is a Cina Panettone brewing involving Mauri Cardi uh -huh. and uh, of course his agent who also happens to be his wife mm -hmm. uh, described as a Bond girl in, in this edition of and the yeah, front page of Gazzetta this morning was a chaos called Wanda yeah. but I, I preferred the headline the front page of Gab's paper Corriere della Sport which was House of Icards 
Ooh, which had nice. which had one wonder as um, <laughs> as Mrs Underwood sat right. in the kind of Abe Lincoln kind of chair. So she Looked basically really good. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> really good. She this classic blonde bombshell has dropped one, uh, which is that supposedly Inter wanted to send Icardi to Juventus. Yeah, and this was and there could be no summer. no more heinous crime really. No, that that was that was out already in the summer without kind of. Wanda coming out and confirming it, but that was something that was very much kind of bubbling away. And yeah, whilst they were in on holiday on safari, posting Instagram uh, photos of of zebras, black and white zebras, James, you know the oh. symbolism of that. Right. The thing is, like, <laughs> I I love these two because they are for me what Italian football is all about. There's something kind of quite trashy, dramatic about it all, and, and that sort of thing. But uh, they are so opportunistic. I mean, like. A week or two after Suning um, took over from Eric Tohir, contract request. Then a couple of hours after Inter go out of the Champions League, Icardi's had a great Champions League, regardless of what happened to the team. Four goals in six games, contract request. I mean, it's a very cynical way of, of going about She's tweeting at half past midnight on the Friday after they've gone out of the Champions League saying, mm, just perusing the contract renewal here. I'm not liking everything I'm seeing here. Mm. Um and, and she's also at the same time, because she's such a publicity hound, she's also a regular pundit on Tiki Taka. I don't want to say the Italian equivalent of match of the day because it's even though the guy I love the, the presenter is, is, is a friend of mine and I, I I really like him. But it is sort of this absurd there's this show from Absurdistan, but <laughs> it still gets a big audience because yeah. it's it's, it's on like three, three hours long on a Monday night. It's called Tiki Taka, it's on Medi Set. And she, yeah, from this season, she's, she's 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 been a regular on it, and this is where she she basically broke the uh, the Juventus news, which has caused all kinds of hiccups at uh, Inter's Christmas party. Mm, can I imagine? So, Crosstown, Milan, they had themselves a nil nil draw with Bologna, which didn't really help either manager, I guess. Yeah, mm. ninety five minutes of my life, I will not get back. <laughs> okay, um, coming on the heels as well of that. Right. Defeat in the Europa League. So which... they basically, this was a few kilometres from where they won the Champions League, what, a decade ago. They were taking on Olympiacos. They could have won. They could have drawn. They could even have lost. But Gab, it was really noisy. Did you not see, did <laughs> yeah. you not see Leonardo? Jim Claxon. Jim That was <laughs> so bizarre from Leonardo. So basically, yeah, as I say, they could have lost, but just not 3-1, which is what happened. And they go crashing out of the and, and, Europa League. By the way, about Leonardo, like... He is a warrior of the light. He's handsome. He mm. speaks 50 languages. He's well-spoken. And look, it's so rare. So this is why I'm going to flag it up. I, I really like him and respect him. Yeah, me too. So what this did he was, say after the game? He came out and uh, we complained about about the penalty, which if you haven't seen this, I, maybe in prison they don't call these penalties, but it's it's a corner kick. About this, got his hands literally on the center forward. You know, one in front, one behind. And the argument was that, well, but he didn't push him, right? Why you got to put your hands on him? This is my thing. About this, not a kid, right? Mm. He's a veteran yeah. defender, not, you about know. Yeah, exactly. And take all the penalty, right? And then yeah. they all they all complain. And but then the other, the other big thing, thing they complained about, sorry, yeah. was that it was noisy. Right. He said specifically there was some kind of noise effect, some klaxon that... Uh, yeah, I, every I, time they went on the attack, they went... 
like this, and it was so sort of disorientating yeah. that Higuain, it doesn't matter that Higuain is in an awful run of form and hasn't been the same player since he missed that penalty against Juventus. They're just like, they stop and they're like, oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Higuain's never played in front of big, passionate, noisy yeah. crowd. After the game, most of the analysis was focused on the penalty decision because the commentators thought it was soft. Leonardo was going on about the corner that led to the first goal, which he thinks should basically because it had already been taken. The ball had gone out, out outside the luneta, the little kind of uh, thing, and then someone had touched it to put it back in there. And they're like, "You've already played it." So they, they, they he was convinced it was an absolute scandal. Whereas Gattuso, as usual, comes out and says, "No, it's all our fault. We're mediocre. We played flat. We've only got ourselves to blame." As he did again. The other Tuesday night against Bologna, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Nelson was, was like, "Oh, see how well we defended." We, no, <laughs> straordinario, <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs> Pepe Inzaghi, as we speak, still on the uh, on the panchina of Bologna, still the Bologna manager. Uh, whether there's going to be changes over the, the the Christmas period, we'll see. How about we get a quick word on the teams that did make it through, or dropped into the Europa League, and the draw that. Uh, that, that awaited them on Monday in Neon. So Juve, who Saturday night won the Turin Derby a 1-0, or a Cristiano no Ronaldo penalty. I'm <laughs> a bit annoyed with some penalties not given uh, right. Alexandro and Zaza. Zaza, who, by the way, though, if he doesn't make himself fall like like a like, like, yeah, he, I agree with this. Like a sack of poo, then maybe <laughs> maybe they, maybe you get the penalty, yeah. right? What do you make of Juve's draw? I look forward to it. You know, Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid. You've talked the talk. I walk the walk. I, I think Atletico Madrid are clearly a tough opponent, but they they can they have the tools to beat them. Yeah, two teams that have gone closest to winning the Champions League that have not won the Champions League in the last what, five six years. Mm. Both have been to the final twice. And in some respects, resemble each other. Mm. Um, but Diego Simeone, unbeaten against Italian sides. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. He really hates Juve. <laughs> the other Italian side in the Champions League are Roma, who people might say have got an easier draw. Uh, they got Porto, but this Porto side looked pretty interesting. They had their best group stage. And they were in an easy group, but they had a fantastic uh, They also, like, massively, results. if you look at the numbers... Mm-hmm. Expected goals was around seven, and they they scored twelve. They, so you're they, suggesting they overperformed against poor teams. Yeah. yeah that's what I say this about Roma. You finished second in the group. Look at who else you could have faced. Yeah, absolutely. And no, they, Porto, you know, like, like choose your poison. I'm not no disrespect to Porto, but you know they're less scary than everybody else. Yeah. Allegri was scratching faced. his head because he's like, we've topped the group and we've got Atletico. Roma finished second and lost to Victoria Pilsen and have got who Porto? What? Yeah. Roma, by the way, uh, another club where there's uh, all sorts of uncertainty about the future of the manager, although uh, Di Francesco did get a win just about at the weekend against uh, the wow. new look of Genoa. They played well, I thought. Roma, you know, second half, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so look, if it's, He went with Zaniolo as the, as the full Yeah, nine. that didn't work so much in the first half. What a bocciatura for Schick, though. Dzeko's out injured. You've played six games in a row and you're benched um, against a team that you'd probably look at and think, I fancy myself scoring against mm. this team. I think Schick could be on his way back to Sampdoria. Well, that, that game preceded by a pretty extraordinary demonstration by the Roma fans and, and their unhappiness. A hundred banners all around the city saying Palotta Vatanig. Variations of Yeah, of go Pal- Palotta, James Palotta, the, the American owner of the club. Yeah, um, I think uh, there's yeah quite a lot of uh, tension there. Kudovas would issued a big sort of communique um, again, suggesting they're fed up. Names whistled when they were called out um, before um, by the public announcer. 
Um, difficult, I think, atmosphere in which to play for Roma. I think to some extent it, this is a young team, particularly up front. You see Robin Olsen, who I think has actually done pretty damn well, um, make a, a howler for the for the first goal. But yeah, I think Roma play Juventus this weekend. It's the big game in Turin. I don't think a decision will be made on the basis of that result on Di Francesco's future because I think you know, Roma have never won at the Allianz Stadium. I think they recognise it's a really difficult place to go. But there was a sense that if they'd lost that game, someone like Paolo Sosa would be would be in charge for that. Big Paolo, mm. who who called himself he he wants this job, and he's he's been saying that for what the last <laughs> last two months, which has been lovely for Di Francesco to hear. It's like yeah, yeah, I, I fancy it's myself really taking I over. I can't recall another manager just <laughs> it's it's not sitting. Bad. There. It's the fact that you know he's he's now moved to Rome. He's living in a camper van outside Trigori, outside the training ground. <laughs> Was was like writing along the side, like you know. <laughs> he's got spray paint, and he's putting <laughs> yeah. Di Francesco back. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. That was their first win in what six matches, actually, uh, Roma. And uh, we'll we'll see. The, the other the other uh, Italian sides in Europe are all in the Europa League now. Lazio, who just about made it through, they'll get Sevilla which is going to be a tough game for them. Sevilla, absolutely flying at the moment, second in the Liga. Uh, Napoli who drop into the Europa League, as do Inter. Napoli get Zurich and Inter get Rapid Vienna. So, you know, they're going to be happy with those draws, I think, probably, no? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. And we should also point out about Napoli and and Inter. Those teams, they were out of of, of the Champions League with the same points total and the same goal difference as the teams who who, who advanced, Spurs Mm. and Liverpool. So, you know, I think, it really is really is fine margins. So I think they're good sides and see what they do. Can I make a, uh, an early shout for something? Please do. I think Atalanta are going to qualify for the Champions League this year. Wow. Ooh. That's a bold call. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, they beat Lazio, of course, on, what was that, Monday night? Monday night. Lazio had a stoppage time equaliser from a chair to be ruled out for offside. Yeah. But Atlanta flying at the moment. Mm. Well, play Juventus in Bergamo just before Christmas, or is it just after? It's the box. Maybe it's the box. Boxing Day post Christmas. You know what's going to happen, right? It's going to be like, given that it's in Bergamo. It's going to be like minus ten. It's going to be yeah, the game's going to be iced over. It's yeah. going to be fog. Yeah. I mean, Allegri's just going to send out his ten physically heaviest players. One of whom will be or clone Manzukic and just send out eleven. <laughs> yeah. Send out an army of Manzukic's, and you know. You know what? This has been a broad-ranging discussion, some of which touched on Antonio Di Natale, but by no means the most important part. Many, many thanks, Gab and James. We're going to be back after Christmas, listener. Mm-hmm. So uh, do have yourselves a Buon Natale uh, with your Pandora and that. And I uh, hope you have a, a wildly successful new year. Until we next speak from all of us here, to Rivadurci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>